The following is a presentation of the Open Door Bible Baptist Church and Pastor Chris Tice. For more audio and video content, please check us out on the web at www.opendoornj.org. The power of restoration. We're going to look at three things as we discuss this today. The three points today is going to be the sting of failure, the hope of restoration, and the power for restoration. The sting of failure, the hope of restoration, and the power for uh, restoration. How many have experienced, you don't have to raise your hand, but I want you to identify with this because right off the bat, let's identify with what we see in the scriptures in Peter's life. How many have failed God? How many of us, maybe some, some point in our lives right now, we're failing God? We're failing him. We're failing to keep his commandments. We're failing to love him completely with all of our hearts and souls and minds and strength. We may find ourselves divided. We may find ourselves, some may be double-minded. Some here today, you may be inquisitive about what Jesus means and what the gospel is and what this is all about. Why do we gather as a church and what the purpose of all this is? You may have just come today because this is what you do on Sunday. It's church and it's part of your culture and it's part of your mindset. Laying that all aside, God has a purpose and a plan in your life And all of us have experienced the sting, number one, the sting of failure. As we look at this narrative in the scriptures, we cannot but understand that on purpose, the Holy Spirit is intertwining Peter's denial with Jesus' trial. That he is intertwining alongside of, for us to see a parallel, both to compare and to contrast, uh, the fact that Jesus is on trial, but so is Peter. Do you see Peter's trial in the text and Jesus' trial? Do you see that the Holy Spirit lays them right next to each other on purpose, with a purpose, for us to see why they intertwine and for us to understand who we are in this story? How many know that we need Jesus today? I mean, I think undeniably we need Jesus today. But understanding the fact that we need Jesus and the extent that we need him and the depth for which we need Jesus can be seen as we examine Peter's failure today because I think all of us can see a little of ourselves in the life of Peter. Uh, We talk about Peter a lot as we look at the Gospels. He's put forward for us. But I believe that Mark, John Mark here, he's the penman of the Gospel that we're studying now, wants us to consider what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and that being a follower of Jesus comes with a cost. It's not easy to follow Jesus. Jesus looked at his own disciples. He asked them the question, will you also go away? We looked at and examined that last week as we talked about where we've come from and where we're going. And as we come back into our study in Mark, I think it's, it's pertinent for us to understand, for us to acknowledge that God wants us to consider what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If we're coming to declare together today that we are followers of Christ, disciples of Jesus Christ, we must understand that this does not come cheap, And it does not come without a cost. Jesus says that if we're going to follow him, we must deny ourselves. Deny ourselves. Take up our cross and follow him. There is a cost in following Jesus. How many have found in your Christian life today that it is not easy to follow Jesus? And how many in your journey of following Jesus have failed along the way? You've maybe denied him or forsaken him or for some reason or other, you stop following him. I'm thanking God today because if you're here and you're listening to the message, that means you may have at some point stopped following Jesus, but perhaps today you're here for restoration. 
Perhaps today you're here for repentance. Perhaps today God has aligned you with this point in time and with this message and with His Word with a great purpose because He wants to call you, if you're an unbeliever, out of darkness and into light. And if you're a believer, He wants to call you to repentance and following Jesus again. And as Peter fails here, he, let's, let's acknowledge what he fails to do. He fails to identify publicly with Jesus. As we're going to look at uh, two young men following baptism uh, right at the end of the service, following in baptism is an identification with Jesus Christ. It's identifying with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Uh, when we receive Christ, when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, at the moment of our salvation, the Bible is explicitly clear that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. That is the earnest of God. It's what uh, quickens us. Ye hath, ye hath he quickened, which were dead in your trespasses and sins. He took our spirit. Our spirit was quickened, made alive when the Holy Spirit came and entered into our lives. There is nothing necessary outside of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ for us to be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The Bible is clear. And in the moment, the Bible tells us that he gives the earnest of our salvation, the proof, the down payment, and that is His Spirit. Jesus promised that Spirit who would lead us and guide us in all truth that would indwell all of us and every believer. And identification with Christ after we've received Christ is so important, isn't it? We don't need to identify with our old life anymore. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But now we identify with this new life that we receive in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature. And so we are new creatures We have a new nature. The old nature is dead and gone. But we still have this body of death, don't we? We still have this flesh. How many are looking forward to the day when God glorifies that old flesh? Uh, One day, the Bible says, this corruptible will put on incorruption. This mortal will put on immortality. How many are thankful for that day that death will be swallowed up in victory? We can say then, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The Bible says that when we see Jesus at his second coming, we will be changed from one thing to another thing. We will be changed from what we are to what he is. The Bible says we will know even as also we are known, and we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But along this way, along this journey, how many know that Christ is being formed in you? That's what the Bible says. We're being sanctified. Christ is being formed in us. It's a journey, often a painful journey, as we try and fail. How many have failed in your prayer life? How many failed in your Bible study life? How many have failed in your witness? Are you with me today? Sometimes we look at failures as just the things that we've done that are bad. But how many know that sometimes failures are not doing the things that we should? Sometimes we fail to fulfill the responsibilities that we have in this new creation, in this new uh, identity that we've received in the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the clear message from the passage today. Ordinary life tests whether we are faithful witnesses for Jesus or not. Ordinary life tests whether we are faithful witnesses for Jesus. Can I say this this morning? This is not the test for whether you are a faithful witness for Jesus. Sometimes we we make Sunday morning the test. Whether I made it to church or not is the test for whether or not I'm a faithful witness for Christ. No, this is not the test. 
Now, it may be part of the test. You may be admonished and challenged and and convicted and encouraged and edified in Jesus through the word and through the fellowship today. But the truth is, the test of our witness is going to happen in our ordinary day-to-day, moment-by-moment lives, isn't it? Tomorrow, you're going to be challenged with whether or not you're going to identify with Jesus or not. How many are with me? It may be happening in your family life. It may happen in your marriage. It may happen in your job. It may happen in just out in the world with interacting with other people. But the true test of our identification with Jesus Christ is found in ordinary life. It's happened in the moment by moment. How many know that we need to be filled with God's Spirit every moment? We need to be empty of ourselves. The Bible says walk in the Spirit or be filled with the Spirit and you will not fulfill what? the lusts or desires of your flesh. And the test is in our ordinary day-to-day lives. This isn't the test. This is where we get encouraged. This is where we get challenged. This is where we're obeying God to come faithfully, corporately as a body, to hear the word of God preached, to worship together, to pray together, to encourage one another together. It's our job. It's what we're supposed to do as believers, but we're supposed to come away with this encouragement edification that says, hey, when I face an opportunity tomorrow to identify or not identify with Jesus. May I choose to identify with Jesus Christ? How many have felt those times of denial? We see the sting of failure, but number two, we see the hope of restoration. We see the hope of restoration. Look at Mark chapter 16 and verse number 7. We'll look a little bit into the future of our study. But go your way, tell his disciples, verse number 7, chapter 16. Are you there? Look at it with me. But go your way, tell his disciples, and who? And Peter. But go your way, tell his disciples, and Peter, that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall you see him, and he said, as he said unto you. I don't know about you, but that's interesting because Jesus anticipates Peter's restoration. At this point in the narrative, Jesus is resurrected, but Peter's not repented. Peter's not restored. We can look at John chapter 21 and we can see that moment of Peter's restoration and repentance. Remember, Jesus comes and he's there and what's Peter doing? Peter's naked and he's fishing. He's gone back to his former life. He's gone back to identifying with who he was before Jesus. He's no longer identifying as what did Jesus tell him he was going to be? He said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. But now Peter's saying, I don't want to be identified as a fisher of men like Jesus anymore. I'm going to go back to doing what I did before. How many as a believer have been tempted to go back to your life before you became a Christian? You've been tempted to that. And we're all faced with that challenge, aren't we? Because there is some temptation and some comfort in burying my head back in the sand. But how many know as a Christian, I can never unknow what I know now? If you know Jesus, it doesn't matter how you change or flip it on its head or, you know, try to do something different. Listen, you are always going to know what you know. That which has been revealed to you has been permanently revealed to you by His Spirit. It's been placed into your heart. And if you try to run from it, how many know that it just follows you? Jonah tried to run from God, but Jonah found out that God was with him. How many understand that when you try to run from God? The great narrative in the life of Jonah was that God was with Jonah wherever he went, even when he was swallowed by a great fish. How many glad that God is with you wherever you go? But how many are not always, how many are not always proud of where you take God? Are you with me? How many are not always proud of where you take God? 
Sometimes we take God into places we shouldn't take him, if you would. We shouldn't identify with these old lies, but sometimes we want to kind of have this juxtaposed position that I can have one foot in my old life and one foot in my new life, and the book of James tells us about that life, right? The double-minded man's what? Unstable in all his ways. And no matter how hard you try, no man can, Jesus declared to us, serve two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other. You're going to turn from one and serve the other. Isn't it interesting that we are all slaves and servants? You have a choice to be a servant of Jesus, or you can be a servant of your sin and of yourself and of this world. And we're all slaves. But the, uh, the, uh, the thing that deceives us the most is we're told somehow in the world that if we make our own choices, we call our own shots, we make our own decisions, that that's freedom. But how many found out when you turned 18 and you could do, are you with me? When you turned 18 and you could make your own choices, you weren't as free as you thought you were going to be. Are you with me? How many when that first car insurance bill came, that first utility bill came, that first apartment rent bill came and you were on your own and now you're free to make your own decisions, you found out you weren't really free at all. As a matter of fact, you were more free when you were underneath the slavery of your parents because they were enslaved to the bills and you were free to go outside and play. Are you with me? You were free to go do what you want. And now, and isn't it interesting that in immaturity, we look at freedom in such a different way. When we're immature, we think freedom is me. I can call my own shots. I can do my own things. I can, you know, and then we understand. We become adults. And what do we say to the young people? Don't grow up too fast. Enjoy it while you can. Enjoy this time in your life and your youth. It's not going to last very long. And what we understand is there's just slavery, slavery, slavery. But how many have found it would be far better to be a servant of Christ than a servant of the world? It's far better to be a bond slave for Jesus Christ than enslaved to your sin and to your flesh. When I'm a slave to Jesus, I am truly free. Christ has made us free. The truth has set us free. And there's hope and restoration as Jesus looks in chapter 16 and he talks about the fact that he's coming. He says, hey, tell the disciples... What does the word disciple mean? Followers of Jesus, right? Notice he gives a little caveat here. And Peter. Peter's not following. Tell the disciples and Peter that I'm coming. Just like I said. You notice that he calls Peter by his name. He calls him out. How many have had those moments in your life where the hope of restoration is made clear to you through the word of God? Maybe it's in preaching or in personal study or just the Holy Spirit recalling the word to your memory. Like the psalmist, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not, what? Sin against thee. How many have had those moments of temptation and you're thankful for the Holy Spirit bringing to recollection the word of God? That's why you should study the word of God and memorize it. Hide it in your heart. Why? Because the word keeps us from temptation. It keeps us from giving in and yielding to temptation. There's no temptation taking you, the Bible says, but such is common to man. But God, in his mercy and his grace, with every temptation, the Bible says what? He provides a way of escape for us that we may be able to bear it. Peter thought he was escaping from 
something when he ran from Jesus. But really, he was leaving his freedom. He was leaving his his fearlessness. He was leaving what he needed in order to live a fearful, fearless Christian life. And how many want to be fearless in your Christian life? I don't know about you, but I want to be fearless. How many know that in this world, we need fearless Christians, courageous with the gospel of Jesus Christ, bold to identify with Jesus? How many are a little bit ashamed with how many opportunities you have to share the wonderful truth of the gospel and how many times you balk? And how many times you don't? How many times you don't open your mouth when you have opportunities? Are you with me today? Because this is for me today. I want to be bold. I want to be more courageous. This is not the test of my courage. Hey, listen, I understand for the most part that I'm preaching to the choir today. Are you with me? Now, I heard you sing. I don't know if we qualify for a choir, but uh, I'm preaching to those who are for what I'm saying for the most part. This is not the test of my boldness. This is not the test of my courage. The test of my courage is going to come when I go out into the world just like you go out in the world, whether or not I choose to identify with Jesus Christ and follow him. Peter, what was he doing? When he was following Jesus, he was in his own self-confidence, wasn't he? First in the garden, what does he do? He takes out the sword and he lops off Malchus's ear. And what's he doing? He's not showing his boldness for Jesus. He's showing his confidence in himself. What did Jesus say? I've got to go to the cross. I'm going to be given a ransom. I'm going to be laid down. Nobody takes my life except I offer it. Peter, this is what I'm choosing to do. Peter, I'm telling you that I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die and I'm going to be in the grave for three days and nobody is going to stop that. And you know what Peter said? Well, I'm going to stop it. Peter said, I'm going to stop it. I'm going to prevent it. I'm going to hinder uh, you. And what did Jesus say in that moment to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Why? Because Peter was speaking against the will of God. Peter was not in agreement with God. He was not confident. His confidence did not come from his His faith in the word of God, his confidence came from his own confidence, his own self-confidence. How many have ever failed in your Christianity because you were just confident in the flesh? You know what Paul said? I take no confidence in the flesh. I've got a lot of reasons to be confident in the flesh. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. He tips over in in Philippians chapter 3, his trophy case and all the reasons that he has to boast in Jesus. And he says, I'm going to forget those things which are behind. Uh, We wonder if he can even count, right? Because he says, I count myself as uh, those things that were gained, I count as loss. I count myself uh, to, to be less than the least of all. I count myself to be the greatest of all sinners. And I also count all of this stuff that I should hold up as being the reason for I have self-confidence. And he says this, I count it all but dung. Do you understand the strength of that word? He's saying, hey, listen, explicitly, it's all just filthy rags, garbage. It's all just dung. It doesn't matter. The things that we prop ourselves up with, if you would, the, the pride of ourselves, sometimes we boast in our flesh and we only have cause to boast in Christ alone. Mark mentions Peter more than any other gospel. Nothing happens in Mark's gospel without uh, Peter present. There are even insignificant details. And scholars admit that these prove that this is an eyewitness account. This gospel is an eyewitness account of Peter's testament about himself and following the Lord Jesus Christ. John Mark was uh, the penman that God used, but uh, historically we understand that John Mark didn't follow Jesus or even know Jesus. He might have been present there in the Garden of Gethsemane. But what we understand here is that John Mark had heard these eyewitness accounts from Peter himself. 
Peter was giving these accounts of himself. Uh, 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 Richard uh, Bachman says this, No one in the early church other than Peter himself would have dared or wished to highlight the weakness and failure of the greatest leader in the entire Christian movement. The only possible source for the account of Peter's denial would be Peter himself. You say, why in the world would someone be so open and so raw about their own failures? Anybody here want to be open and raw about your failures? We could put them up on the screen. Uh, uh, we, 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 I mean, we could talk about them openly. Uh, usually in these kind of settings, we do really a really good job of trying to present ourselves as flawless. How much work did you have to put in today to make it so you didn't stink? Are you with me? Well, that's really raw. That's where we're at. Are you with me? How much work did you have to put in today just to make yourself socially acceptable and presentable? No, no, I got up this way. Are we living the Instagram filter life? No makeup, no filter. This is, this is who I am in real life. Who you're presenting yourself to be on social media is not who you are. You understand? None of us truly present the real, the raw. And by the way, all of us say thank you for not doing that. I'm glad that you didn't come in stinking today. But how many know that our flesh is rotten? We have to work so hard and so heavily. It's, again, like putting makeup on a pig. It's, it's like, what, what, what is religion? Jesus said it this way. It's makeup on a corpse. Religion is putting makeup on a corpse. It doesn't matter how much makeup you put on a corpse. You may look, make it look pretty and presentable, but in the end, it's still a corpse. Are you with me? In the end, it's still decay. It's still dead. It doesn't matter how hard you try to make yourself presentable and acceptable in social circles, in church circles. You can keep laying on the makeup. You can keep trying to present yourself in the way, look at what I'm doing, look at how I look, look at how I act. And so many people in religion, it's all about the outward package and presentation. This is who I am. But you know in the depths of your heart that it is not who you truly are. And in your soul, you wrestle with fear and anxiety and you're faced with all of these problems and situations and you're struggling with addictions and you're struggling with sins that you think should be gone from your life and you're struggling with acceptance. And you say, well, that's not me. No, that's who you're trying not to be, but that is who you are without Jesus Christ. What does Jesus come and do? Jesus takes the broken pieces of who we are and he puts them together. John 21 tells us of Jesus' restoration of Peter. Notice what he said, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me more than these? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And what did he say? Feed my lambs. Stop trying to identify with who you were and identify with who I am. I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I'm the shepherd who gives his life for the sheep and I'm calling you into a life of being a shepherd, one who will feed the flock of God. You know what Peter does in, in the epistles? As he opens up the epistles, he admonishes other pastors in this way. He says, hey, pastors, the chief shepherd is Jesus. Don't ever think that you're the chief shepherd. Well, that's a good reminder for me today. I'm not the chief shepherd. I'm not Jesus. I'm not the salvation. I'm not the standard. Are you with me? I know that I'm up here. I know that I'm presenting the scripture. But don't get it confused. Don't you think for a second that I'm the standard that you need to compare your life to. 
or I'm the person that you need to be. I'm just as broken as you are. It took just as much work, if not more. And you're saying, more work, more work, Pastor. It took more work to make me presentable today, socially speaking. But I'm telling you, I'm nothing without Jesus, and you're nothing without Jesus, and we are not the standard. And Peter's saying, hey, listen, don't be like me who got yourself all confused and thinking that you were the Savior, you were the Redemptor, you were the one that was going to be able to stand with the sword and fight off Satan. Peter said, no, I'm the one that went away sorry, weeping, crying, not identifying with Jesus, the denier of Christ, the failure. When Peter went on trial, he, he failed because of what he did do. When Jesus went on trial, he succeeded even though he was accused for what he didn't do. Jesus could take the accusations on our behalf because Jesus is the only one perfect here. Are you with me? Jesus is the only one perfect here. If you believe that, say amen. Say, I'm not perfect. Say, definitely the guy next to me is not perfect. I didn't say girls. Some of you ladies were like, I know, I know. We know we're not perfect. But a lot of times we come into church and we try to pretend like we are. Can I say this? You're not fooling anybody. And I'm not fooling you either. If we really are honest with ourselves, you go, I know he's not perfect. I know I'm not perfect. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do? How do we win in this? How do we succeed in this? Where's the hope in all of this? Because if we have hope only in this life, what does the Bible say? We're men most miserable. If your hope's in your stuff, your stuff's going to go away. If your hope's in your health, your health's going to go away. If your hope's in your money, your money's going to go away. If your hope's in your job, your job's going to go away. If your hope's in your relationships, your relationships are going to go away. If your hope's in your children one day, they're going to go away. If your hope's in your spouse one day, they're going to go away. And listen, you cannot put your hope in anyone or anything but Jesus Christ because he's the only one that never fails and he never goes away. He never goes away. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Listen, people have left me, but Jesus has never left me. I've failed other people and they haven't forgiven me, but I've failed Jesus and he's forgiven me over and over and over again and he's faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness and I'm free, free, free today because of Jesus Christ. Not because of my works. Not because of my appearances. Not because of what I've done, but because what he has done. Hudson Taylor said it this way, God chose me because I was weak enough. He trains somebody to be quiet enough and little enough, and then he uses him. God cannot use us until we are weak enough and poor enough and quiet enough. He calls not many noble. He calls no one that's good. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Listen, the thing that's hindering you from following Jesus perhaps today is your confidence in yourself. Thinking that you can do it yourself. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't try harder. Hey, listen, the key today is not longer lists. It's deeper love. We came in today, listen, you might want to write onto your list, but I tell you today, I've got enough on my list that I've failed. Are you with me? I fail every single day. How many have your list, your honeydew list, your personal list, your striving? Listen, we fail, we fail, we fail, we fail. But Jesus never fails. Not one time has he failed. Not one of us has he failed. You say, well, other people have failed me. That's not Jesus. That's Jesus being good to you, causing you not to put faith and confidence in men. You say, oh, pastors have failed me and churches failed me. Can I tell you? We will fail you. I will fail you. Look around the room. Your brothers and sisters in Christ will fail you. But don't keep your eyes on man. Keep your eyes on Jesus. 
He will never fail you. Never. In God's economy, there is no plan B. In Peter's life, there was no plan B. This was not Peter failing and missing the uh, perfect will of God and now getting the permissive will of God. I've heard people preach it that way. That God's, wor- uh, word is, uh, God's will is both good and acceptable and perfect. And that there's three wills of God, and if you screw up your life, you get a different will. It's not as good as the first one, but, you know, you can get a kind of a, an okay package of a will. You know, if you really messed up your life, hey, listen, here's the hope. The hope is that you can kind of, you know, fix a little bit. You may not get the best, but you'll get fooey on that. What kind of hope is that? What kind of Savior is that? What kind of Savior can't give us his perfect will because of our failures? If that was the case, he's no Savior at all. God's will, hey, listen, I understand English and commas and adjectives. God's will is both good and perfect and acceptable. It is all of those things, and you can have all of them, and we know all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. You don't miss out on God's will when you fail. God's will is available to all those who come in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ. The hope that we have today in restoration is not that we get some, some sub-level will of God or some sub-level Savior today, but we have Him in perfect power and peace, and it's available to us in His fullness and His glory because God's will is not about us. It's about Him. It's about Him. You see how sad God's will becomes when we make it about us? It is not God's will for my life. It's my life for God's will. So many times we say, oh, I messed up, and so I don't get God's perfect will. No, no, God's grace is so good, it doesn't matter how far you've gone or how much you've messed up or how much you've failed him, you can have God's perfect, acceptable will, his good will. You can have it all in Jesus Christ. It doesn't come cheap, it doesn't come easy, but it's available because of Jesus. There's the hope of restoration, and then there's the power for restoration. We've got to close today. As Peter was denying Jesus and going free, Jesus was loving Peter and being condemned. How many see that substitutionary sacrifice in the story? As Peter's denying Jesus and going free, Jesus is loving Peter and being condemned. Do you remember as Jesus is walking into the palace to be judged and Peter is following afar off when the Gospels tell us that the eyes of Jesus meet with the eyes of Peter? And what does Jesus' eyes tell Peter? I love you. I love you. Hey, Peter, I know what you're going to do, but I love you. Hey, Peter, I know what you're about to say, but I love you. Hey, Peter, I know you're going to fail me, but I love you. Hey, Peter, I know you're going to deny me, and you're going to do it not once, not twice, but three times. Before the sun comes up, you're going to deny me three times. But Peter, be encouraged. Have hope, because when you're converted, you're going to be used to strengthen the church. You're going to be a great leader in the church. Hey, hey, listen, there's a great death that's coming to you. It's going to be painful. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be a great price in following me. But Peter, you're going to find love and joy and peace and satisfaction in following me. And no matter what you do in denying me this day, all of that is going to be done and undone in another day. Because when I die on the cross, I'm dying for all of that. And when I rise, it's all forgiven in me. Aren't you glad for his resurrection today? The hope of restoration and the power for restoration are found in the new life and resurrection of Jesus Christ.
We sang it today. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Buried, he carried my sins far away. How far away, church? How far away? As far as the east is from the west. Hey, can I tell you, east and west, they never meet. And get this, if you're in Jesus, you'll never meet your sins again. You'll never meet them again. You know what the devil's going to try to do? He's the great accuser of the brethren, isn't he? He's going to try to get east and west to meet in your life. He's going to try to get your past in sync with your present. But can you say, like Peter today, hey, I am no longer a slave to my sin. I am no longer a slave to fear. But now I'm a child of Jesus Christ And listen, my sins are in the sea of forgetfulness and God has chosen to remember them no more. Why? Because when he looks at his children, he sees his son. He sees his son. Can I tell you that God is still well pleased with his son? He's not pleased with me because I'm trying harder, working harder, doing better. He's not pleased with me because of me. He's pleased with me because of because of what Jesus has done. Hey, Peter, you were up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And what did he do? When he should have been worshiping, when he should have been quiet, he was opening his mouth. Hey, let's build a tabernacle for Elijah. Let's build a tabernacle for Moses. Let's build a tabernacle for Jesus. And we're going to have all these tabernacles we're going to have. We're just going to worship. And what? hey, God spoke from heaven. He said, hey, be quiet. Listen to my son. Aren't you glad that God quiets us? God quiets us. So many times our pride creeps into our lives. Peter's denying Jesus and going free. Jesus is loving Peter and being condemned. Peter fails to be the faithful disciple he said he would be, but Jesus succeeds in being the faithful Savior he said he would be. Where we fail, he never fails. Listen, what you need to do today is understand that Jesus was judged for your failures. He who had no failures was judged for your failures. I don't call that fair. I call that grace. That's what God calls it, by the way. That's not fair, but it is just. You say, what are you talking about? God is just. God didn't just say, hey, listen, I love you. How many know that this is not real love anyway? In any relationship, not in human relationships, in our relationship with God. Love doesn't say, I just excuse your sin. I love you because I'm in love with you. You can just sin against me. That doesn't work in the church. That doesn't work in your marriage. That doesn't work in your life of parents and children. You don't just say, I love you, so you can just do whatever you want. How many know that doesn't work? It doesn't work. The love of God is never licensed to do what I want. The love of God is not permissible to me to live in accordance with my flesh. The love of God is a changing, transforming love. It takes a, a dead heart and makes it alive. It takes a heart that loves sin and gives it a heart that loves God. Are you with me? If I love somebody, do I want to hurt them? No. Desires to hurt God don't come from your new nature in Jesus. It comes from this old flesh, doesn't it? And what do we have to do? We have to be crucified with Christ. That flesh, I die daily to my flesh. Jesus was judged for your failures. How we who are dead to sin could continue any longer therein. Paul said, God forbid. 
Don't turn the grace of God into lasciviousness, a license to do or live, or liberty to live how you want. Isn't it so sad that religionists reject the gospel because they say, oh, that's going to enable people to live how they want. You know what? There's a problem in the church where we sent the wrong message of the gospel to this world. And it comes from liberalism in the church. Are you with me? On the other side, there's so many Christians that grew up in legalistic. You know, we've all has a little bit of that in us. I have a little bit. I have a lot of that in me. Are you with me? I tend towards legalism. You might in your life tend towards liberalism. But you know what we see happen in the church? People grow up in a legalistic background, theological background. So what they do? They pendulum swing to the ditch on the other side of the road. If you're driving on a road, how many know there's a ditch on this side? There's a ditch on that side. And the way to correct yourself is not by caravanning from one ditch into the other ditch. And on the side of the gospel, there's two ditches, and one is liberalism and the other is legalism. And then there's the perfect love of God and the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ. And you know what happens? Too many Christians, they just ditch hop and pendulum swing. They go from these legalistic backgrounds and they hate, despise, or get angry with, and they go into these liberal licentious Christian lives where it says, I can just live how I want, do how I want. I'm all forgiven in Jesus. Doesn't matter how I dress. Doesn't matter how I act. Doesn't matter what I do. Everything's off the table. I got no standards, no convictions, no principles from God's word to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You know, it's sad, isn't it? Because you're like the teenager that grew up with a lot of rules and you just went out in the world and lived how you wanted. You found out you weren't satisfied in either situation. Either situation. But you know what happens? We find balance when we come to the gospel. Because the gospel tells us that I don't have to live licentiously. I don't have to turn the grace of God into license to live how I want. And I don't have to live legalistically believing that my works merit my salvation. But I can live in the perfect law of liberty. And in the perfect law of liberty, there's a balance that says, hey, listen, yes, God cares what I do with my life, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. How many know that there are still things in the Bible that God's not okay with, Christians? Are you with me? There are still things in the Bible that God's not okay with. And what's what's happened in the pulpit and the pew is we've sent the message to the world that the true gospel is this polluted prosperity gospel, this polluted prosperity gospel where I get everything I want out of life and I'm no different than a humanist and the Epicureans and the Stoics and the philosophers of this world who, who use God as a way of getting my life. Listen, you don't come to God to get your life. You come to God to get his life. You leave your life and you embrace his life. Jesus forgives us out of justice and of love. But get this quickly, we're done. Restoration frees us from guilt and shame. This is why Peter could talk about his past. Peter could talk about his past because he was free from it. Why could Peter give such a strong testimony here about what he was and what he did? How many have ever heard someone give a testimony about their past? You've ever heard that? How many of that's some of you? You give testimony about what you were. How many know that you are free to share that because you're free from it? You can never share it when you're in it. You can't share, hey, I'm free from alcoholism while you're an alcoholic. But what can you do when you're free from it? You say, that's, you know what, I, I used to be that. I used to be an alcoholic. I used to be a drug addict. I used to be this. I I, I used to be addicted to porn. I used to be addicted to this. I used to be addicted. And now I'm free. And get this, Peter could share because of the power of restoration in his life. Because he had been restored, he could now look back on his life and now it can be leveraged for the glory of God. We cannot talk about our past until we're free from our past. 
Restoration frees us from guilt and shame. As a Christian, the righteousness of Christ is credited to you. Restoration, get this, restoration frees us from being controlled by what others think about us. Restoration frees us from being controlled by what others think about us. How many know that in religion, a lot of what the problem is, is we are so enslaved to what other people think about us. But it's not just in religion, isn't it? People in the world are enslaved to what other people think about them. It's all about likes and shares, isn't it? Do people like me? We look for acceptance and we look for our value in people's response to us and what people think about us. Listen, we try so hard to gain acceptance, don't we? But restoration frees us to be witnesses. Hey, it frees us from being controlled by what others think about us. And then restoration frees us to be witnesses for Jesus, even if there's a cost. Restoration frees us to be witnesses for Jesus, even if there's a cost. How many know that there's a cost to be a witness for Jesus? Here's a question today. Are you willing to bear your cross? Are you willing to be identified with Jesus? You will never bear your cross if you're still not at the cross. If you've never come to Jesus and had your sins completely forgiven in Jesus. You know, the problem today is a lot of people, they're still trying through religion and their works to get God to forgive them. You know what they believe? This is where all this false doctrine comes from. There's people that because of that, they believe that if they keep sinning, they're going to lose their salvation. Oh, my salvation is wrapped up in me. So if what I do makes me saved, that's why there's nothing that we do that makes us saved. Because it's not in what we do, it's in what's done in Jesus Christ. And when I'm wrapped up in that, guess what? Then when I sin, I think I lost it. And listen, if you can lose it, you never had it. Get this. If it's, a, if it's salvation today for you, if you can lose what you think you have, you never really got it. If you can lose it, you never had it. Because what God gives, he doesn't take away. What God offers, he doesn't take away. Is that license for me to live how I want? No, Christians don't live like that. True believers, if you are living with this license to live how you want, then you never had it either. And one day we're going to go out and we're going to leave and we're never going to come back. And that's what the Bible identifies. They went out from us. Listen, you know, some people that don't believe you can keep your salvation and say, well, look at these people, they left, and so they lost their salvation. No, the Bible says they never had it. That's why they left and didn't come back. If they left and didn't come back, they never had it. But here's the truth. There's a lot of people who sit in churches who think they have what they don't have. They think they have it because they're good or they tried really hard. I'm not asking you if you've ever prayed a prayer today or you've ever been involved in religion or learned uh, the word of God, even in a Baptist setting. I'm asking you, have you ever been born again? Is the witness of the spirit of God in you? Do you have assurance, not because of how you feel today or because of your performance today, but because there's the Holy Spirit of God in you that confirms that you're a child of God? You know how we know that? Well, we get chastened when we sin. We get convicted when we do wrong. And you know who the Lord loves? He corrects. And guess what? When I sin, God uses sorrow in my life to draw me back to himself in repentance, just like he did Peter. Why did Peter come back? Because Peter was a disciple of Jesus. Listen, 
If you're here today and some failure is keeping you from following, can I, can I say this today? You're meant to repent. You're meant to repent. God is using his word in your heart to identify the failures in your life so that you will turn away from them and follow Jesus. Because your failures are going to keep you from being a bold witness for Jesus. You can't talk about following Jesus if you're not following Jesus. Are you with me? And we know whether we are or not. And the reason why the church is so hindered today in their witness is because they can't talk about what they're not doing. And if I'm not following truly Jesus, then I can't talk about others following Jesus. But if you're following Jesus today, you know what? You're free to be a witness for Christ, even if there's a cost. Let's ask God to help us with this today. If God has used this ministry in any way to be a blessing to you, please take a moment to send us an email to info at opendoornj.org. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at opendoornj.org. Thanks for tuning in.